It's an all-mailbag episode on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. We are changing things up a bit this episode, as we'll be taking an entire time to answer your questions that were sent in to industryfocus at fool.com. Joining me for this energy edition is uh, Motley Fool analyst and competitive cornhole player Taylor Muckerman and Motley <laughs> Fool contributor and serial bicyclist Tyler Crow. How's it going, guys? Going pretty good, man. Not competitive, but champion cornhole. Champion. You guys won? We won yesterday. Congratulations. Yeah. Three hours of cornhole. On the office dime. Yeah, so uh, for those of you that don't know, The Motley Fool has a very um, eclectic, fun, something culture. Well, competitive is one of our Motley's. Competitive is one of the Motley's, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the company sponsored a cornhole tournament where we were down in uh, one of our rotundas and... How many people Sounds competed? Fancy. Like in our, fifty or in our rotunda? In our rotunda, yeah. (laughs) Uh, There are like 50, 60 fools down there, right? Uh, Let's see. Yeah, I would say fifty because there were about twenty six teams. So yeah, yeah, there were snacks, right and we yeah. and you guys won. Congratulations! Four or five rounds. Did you get trophies? We got these little mi- miniature Bluetooth speakers. Oh wow, really? They work pretty That's well. Legit, up yeah. to thirty feet away. Good. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we've got four listener submitted questions, which I've broken down into three sections based on subject matter. Um, first up concerns natural gas vehicles. So Alex from down in the panhandle in uh, Lubbock, Texas writes, I'm a listener of your show and thank you for sharing your knowledge and views. I am invested in CLNE. As you would know, performance has been abysmal. Do you have any thoughts on the wild swings, their current performance, the future of this company? I think they are spending to grow and many companies have converted and are using natural gas vehicles, but many analysts are negative and recommend a sell rating. Would you recommend divesting or holding and why? Thank you, Alex from Lubbock, Texas. What do you guys think? Yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, so that for the other listeners, that's CLNE Clean Energy Fuels. Yeah. Right. Yep. So uh, Clean Energy Fuels is the company that is looking to basically build the gas station fueling infrastructure for for natural gas vehicles. You know, is this the? Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, T Boone Pickens sponsored company. He's, it's, Sponsored, he's got a loan. He's he okay. gave them a loan. Got yeah. it. Everybody sounds like it's his company. He okay. gave them a loan. Mm-hmm. Got so it. Let's be a little cautious when you say it's T Boone Pickens company. But the idea behind it is is you know, with natural gas as an alternative transportation fuel, to make that possible, we have to have the fueling infrastructure to actually make that happen. And clean energy fuels is one of I guess you could say the leading company in terms of the development of that system. Um Going towards Alex's question, is it, uh, you know, seeing a lot of buy or a lot of sell ratings on the stock right now? Um, The thing that I got more than anything out of, you know, when you look at analyst ratings or anything like that in comparison to something like clean energy fuels, clean energy fuels is a very, very long term development kind of stock. It, It you're basically building out a massive infrastructure. And for that to happen, it's going to take a very long time to do. And when you look at analyst ratings, normally most of those time you're looking at analyst ratings, it's a you know twelve to eighteen month time horizon. And they're usually late to the game. They got these sell ratings after it's down a bunch. So. Right. So <laughs> right. when if, if you look at it from that perspective, you have to kind of reconcile your investing time horizon with what analysts are normally looking at. And if you're <clears throat> You know, if you're looking in the, at this as a 10-year perspective investment, you know there is certainly still a lot of potential there. However, if you are only looking at on that, that 12 to 18 month time frame, like a lot of uh, 
analysts are, yeah, it's probably not going to look as great because it's going to take so long for them to develop that infrastructure and the amount that they have to spend to grow to do that over that time is probably going to mean over the next 12 to 18 months, it's not going to be exactly the most profitable company. Any thoughts, Taylor? I mean, they are growing fast, right? Yeah, and they're hitting hitting on their internal goals, um, but investors, especially in the short term, like to see profits, um, and they're not producing any of those. Um, And right now, my worry is that, especially in the short term, you know, LNG just isn't competitive as it was uh, a couple of years ago with with gasoline and diesel because obviously oil prices, prices are, are so low and gasoline prices have have followed suit. And um, for all intents and purposes, people are now saying that thirty dollars. The flip flopping continues. People are saying thirty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> thirty dollars is now inevitable. Um, whereas just a couple of weeks ago, people thought the bottom was here. Um, so, but if oil prices stay this low. Um, you might not see as many new orders come through for engines that run on LNG or, or um, just natural gas, or you might not see as many customers coming through because a lot of these bigger engines can run on either, and locomotives are being built that can run on diesel or LNG. So um, they're going to choose the cheapest fuel, and right now oil is a lot more competitive than it was just a year ago. Got it. And, and some of the things that kind of looking in that long-term perspective, you have to take into account that some of the markets that they're targeting aren't exactly the largest markets out there. And in reference to them, it's it's a big deal. I think a great example of it is refuse trucks, you know, basically the garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, waste facilities. management is waste all, management. all in on yeah. LNG. Um, that is about 2 billion gallons per year of diesel equivalent or CNG equivalent. And so that for clean energy fuels, that's a really big market. <clears throat> However, and the promise of it is actually pretty good because of all the waste uh, trucks that are being built today or the ones that are being bought, and this is actually from a clean energy fuels um, investor presentation, 60% of all refuse trucks sold today are uh, compressed natural gas. Wow. So... So that bodes well for the future. It does. Of, yeah. 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 Long, again, long, long very long term. <laughs> you have to be very, very patient with this stock. And you know, I, I you have seen this company go down from I think you know 2012, 2013. Everybody got on the idea of natural gas changing the when way oil. The competition was high, right? Ergo. Right. And everybody thought that natural gas was going to completely change the way that we do things in the United States, without maybe realizing how long it was actually going to take for it to take uh, you know to really take effect. And so you've seen the price of clean energy fuels over the past couple of years drop precipitously. But at the same time the actual business fundamentals of the company actually have not Are changed. Yeah, you're yeah. just seeing cash flows being pushed further out into the future, which when they're discounted you get a lower share price. Right. Okay. Cool. And a lot of investor sentiment on the stock like this. Naturally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so moving on to our second segment, dividend sustainability. Um, a fellow Sean writes, um, Dear Motley Fool, thanks to for the great industry-focused show. I listen to every You're single welcome. one, and it is very helpful. You're welcome, Sean. Um, I had been following some fracking companies during the oil downturn. Uh, a few months ago, I bought EMES during a uh, share at about $40. It went okay for a while and then dropped sharply. I bought more as the price dropped because I thought it was cheap. I ca- it kept falling until I can't buy more, and now it's at $17, which scares the heck out of me. Now, I'm even worried about if this company can survive the current downturn. For example, if oil stayed at this level for two years, do you think the company may go bankrupt? Should I hold on to the stock? Thank you very much. Best, Sean. 
Well, um, I guess first, EMES is Emerge Energy Services. Uh, for those listeners out there who don't necessarily know the stock ticker, it is uh, a supplier of frac sand to the United States, uh, you know, horizontal drilling movement. Um, Which is essential. It is to, one of the, yeah. basically it's one of the it's most essential driver. Of our driver yeah. yeah. So on to, you know, the biggest thing that I saw when I heard that was, you know, the biggest question was, is it going to go bankrupt? And, or, you know, can it survive over these next couple of years if we were to see sustained oil, uh, low oil prices? And one of the things that makes Emerge Energy Services unique is that it is a variable rate master limited partnership. And what it means by this is that at, on every given quarter, if there's any available cash left over from its operations after it's paid, you know, paid its, you know, any maintenance capital expenditures, uh, interest, anything like that, all that's it's left over is given out 100% to its shareholders. It fluctuates over time. And so if you're looking for an investment that may necessarily you know, have a consistent dividend payout, it's actually pretty good because what that allows a company to do is gives it a little bit of financial flexibility. You see a lot of companies in the master limited partnership space who have these fixed dividends they were committed to it, and they're, and they're in trouble. Committed, yeah. and then when you say that you have a fixed dividend, and then you cut it, it looks a lot worse than just saying, "Hey, we're a variable rate. It's going to change over mm-hmm. time." And you know, it gives everybody that option, and it also gives a company more flexibility. You know, it's it's, it's not going to compromise itself by taking on debt just to pay a dividend. I'm a big fan of that. It's like silver yeah. wheat and pays out a certain up to a certain percentage of its previous twelve months cash flow. So you know that it's fluctuating with the business rather than mm-hmm. uh, paying a high dividend in, in lean times, as opposed to issuing stock or taking right. on debt to pay yep. a dividend. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And the one thing that that does give promise to emerge uh, over the long term, uh, it you know maybe I'm being a little to kind of cherry picking here. But if we look at past six months results, where we've had pretty low oil price, uh, more more importantly for Emerge, it's not necessarily oil prices. It's actually drilling activity in the United States and completion activity, how many wells are getting completed. And it, it has gone down significantly over this time. But if you look at their financials, they've actually still remained profitable, still remained cash flow positive. Mm-hmm. Over that entire time, that six-month time frame, you know they've been able to scale back their capital expenditures. They've been able to, you know, make the cuts necessary to survive this downturn quite well. How's the balance sheet? Um, it, you know, from a debt that, to capital the, the survivability. I mean, you're talking about free cash yeah, flow. Sure. Like, oh, Current ratio down. is over two. So yeah, quick yeah. ratio is over one. So, so the next year or two, they, they should be all right. And, okay. and I yeah. think, if I remember correctly. Um, without knowing this company all that well, their um, debt maturities are mainly due in the next in three and four years. Yeah. So the next one to two years, they don't have a lot of debt coming due. Um, so if they can keep generating cash, um, hopefully yeah. for the entire industry, this doesn't last three to four years. Um, so liquidity wise, they should be all right. When you compare yeah. it to equity, uh, it looks a little dangerous. But on a, on a current asset versus current liability basis, uh, they're good for the next year yeah. or two. And on, on terms of like your their ability to generate. Uh, prof, you know, not necessarily net income, but on an EBITDA basis, you know, for a long-term solvency, their net debt to EBITDA is about 2.2 times, which is 
rather conservative for a master limited partnership. Um, so it, it does bode pretty well for them over the long term. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, cool. Before we move on, I want to make our listeners aware of a very special offer for all industry-focused listeners. If you, if you found this discussion informative and you're looking for more foolish stock ideas, Stock Advisor may be the service for you. It is our flagship newsletter started more than 10 years ago by Motley Fool co-founders Tom and David Gardner. We're offering the lowest price out there for all industry-focused listeners. It is $129 for a two-year subscription to Stock Advisor. You'll get two stock recommendations every single month with insight from our team of analysts. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this deal. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And moving on to our second question on dividend sustainability comes from Bain Pachev. Hi, all. I love your latest energy-focused podcast. Great job. There's a couple exclamation points in there, so you know he likes us. Thanks, Bain. Um, I have a question regarding Noble Corp. Any. The stock fundamentals seem to be in great shape. It should be able to sustain the dividend about 11-12% now, and it, all its drills are relatively new. However, due to oil slump, the stock is being pushed to $12, which is close to a 52-week low. In fact, it is close to the lowest level since the year 2002. Moreover, Barclays recently downgraded severely all the drilling stocks with a target price on any of 10. My opinion is that this stock... my opinion of the stock is that it is in much better shape than its peers, and it's been pushed down together with the rest of the industry. I think the company can easily weather the storm and keep operating with a profit. What do you think? From Bain. Well, I would caution you on saying easily weather the storm. Um, I think just this week you saw more auctions in the Gulf of Mexico, and there's the lowest interest since 1986. So nobody's buying offshore leases at all? Right now, and, and the Gulf of Mexico has been a, a pretty solid boon for the U.S. oil production over the past uh, couple years. Um, but you didn't see Exxon, you didn't see Chevron, you didn't see Shell, the, some of the key players. That see, normally... I would have thought that they'd yeah. throw out a line on a few or something. No, not know? even. No, I think it was like less than $100 million was spent on these auctions. Um, Just $100 million. And it was BH, BHP, <laughs> Billiton, BP, and... Um, Anadarko Petroleum, I believe. So a lot of the big names are left out. So people are still nervous. Uh, these are long-term projects that cost billions of dollars. Um, yeah, you would think, hey, why not just throw a couple million at some at some leases? But there's development clauses in there where you have to go out there and and provide your due diligence. The government says within you have a certain to do this. within yeah. a certain time frame, yeah. you have to do something on that lease, yeah. or it you have to return it. Right. So you know why are you going to spend? a couple million dollars on something that you might not get to in 10 years. And at this time, the companies you just listed are cutting their capital expenditures budgets by 50-60%. So, And and they're cutting off dividend increases, and they're cutting back share buybacks. Um, So yeah, I would be a little worried. I personally own Ensco, so I've I've been witness to uh, the downfall of offshore uh, drillers. Um, But Noble is a well-run company. They have young, young rigs, but this is the, the tail end of the oil oil spectrum in terms of production is is concerned, especially when you can see onshore turn off and on fairly regularly and quickly. Yeah, you can certainly uh, from Nobles as a business perspective, they did a really smart move um, a little more than a year ago, I believe, with spinning off their older assets into what's called Paragon Offshore, and in doing so, it really cleaned up the balance sheet for them. It and gave them a Noble Corp itself, a fleet of relatively new rigs that is going to be much more marketable on the uh, long term for them. My biggest question, and this is something I've been kind of rattling with, very similar to what Taylor was thinking, is the, you know, as we look at oil prices today, um, we thought that shale 
development in the United States was going to be those marginal cost barrels, the highest cost things that were kind of probably dictate the price of what oil was. Um, however, as we've seen over these past it, more than a year, the price for developing shale has gone down drastically. Uh, if you're they really some, stepped to the up to the plate right. with cutting costs, and like so you have certain places yeah. in like the Eagleford or in the Permian Basin where you're getting break-even costs in the forty to fifty dollar range, which, when compared to an offshore project, that is much much lower and less riskier right. and quicker to market. Yeah, so. Yeah. You have a shorter development cycle. You have a cheaper break-even price. You know, it it begs to question. You know, we always thought that shale was going to be the ones that suffer the most when it comes to um, today's pro- uh, today's prices. But you know, I'm starting to wonder if maybe there are other. It's the big, expensive, multi-year yeah, projects that, that are suffering. That could really see suffering over that time, and that's my biggest question. And like, you know, Taylor's a Ensco shareholder. I'm a Cedril shareholder. I, I have a stake in, and I still think there is a lot of possibilities there. However, I, you know, I'm starting to wonder if it's not quite as lucrative as it was maybe a couple of years ago. Got yeah. it. It's gonna the time horizon is being pushed back on a lot of that. Okay. Unfortunately. Uh, so for our third segment, we're all going to have to go a little bit outside our circles of confidence. Um, and it's basically the, um, under the umbrella of not all solar investments are made equal. Um, basically, it re- relates to why not all solar segments are um, equally as profitable or uh, sure things for investors. The question comes from Leland Payne, uh, just north of Dallas in Fairview, Texas. And he writes, I bought Sun Edison stock earlier this year, but sold it taking a small loss when they announced that they were buying Vivint. Is that, did I say that right? Even so, yeah. Solar, Solar, okay. Um, I was concerned about their very aggressive acquisition program relying on yield codes, which have been rejected by investors. Solar City has gotten a lot of positive acceptance by investors and analysts, but I believe it could be a house of cards as well. What is your take on solar stocks and these two specifically? Leland Payne of Fairway, Texas. The thing is, is whether you look at a Sun Edison or a Solar City. The the biggest thing for them right now is they are similar to what we were talking about earlier with natural gas vehicles. These are very very long term developments. Right. Um, you know, Solar City is building out their asset base right now, which is basically their rooftop solar, and they're taking big losses on it because they're ramping up their sales force and doing a lot of things like that that are incurring huge development and capital costs. Yeah, I think operational costs are up 80% in the right. last quarter year over year. Yeah. But necessary. And but because they have to because they are growing so fast and they need that available to them to continue on their I guess you could say their current growth trajectory. And you know, kind of the assumption is is that you're as an investor looking at the long term you're willing to take those losses today on the, you know, premise that five seven, even maybe 10 years from now, that that is going to turn into a profitable, solid cash flow generating generating thing. The thing that I think makes Sun Edison a little bit different than than Solar City in this aspect is Sun Edison has basically taken that, you know, those cash, stable cash generating assets that they have, and they've spun them off into these yield codes, Terraform Power and Terraform Global, which is these two things that they can drop down their stuff so that the development company, which is Sun Edison, can you know, go out, get the financing, develop, build, the, construct the project, and then drop it down to their, their master limited or yield co. Yield co, yeah. It's similar to a master limited partnership, same idea. And then the yield co 
uh, issues debt in stock, right? Issues debt in stock and pays back uh, investors in terms of a dividend. And normally, Sun Edison will receive uh, a general partnership incentive distribution right from the yield co. So it's kind of like this circle of cash payments, which it 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 sounds a little complicated. It. And that's probably it one sounds of the risky fears. though the whole yield code because it's predicated on the yield code being able to issue um, securities of some kind either debt or stock at reasonable like you know five six percent you know earnings yields and the market stinks what are they going to do and I, that actually to me seems like the biggest you know kind of way of looking at the profitability long term for these companies is their access to cheap capital uh, if you're uh, somebody like Solar City or Sun Edison, where you're having to constantly take on debt to do these sort of things, you know, at if those debt interest rates start to go up, then it certainly looks a lot less lucrative because you're making those long-term interest rate payments on them. So, if I was, you know, as an investor in Solar City, that is something I am going to be looking at: is can they maintain those those cheap debt ratings? And you know, the thing that bodes well for that is that. Revenue payments that will be servicing those debts, which are these, you know, power assets. Power assets have a tendency to have some of the lowest default rates in the across the spectrum of you know. So that is to the, the company's credit. To mm-hmm. the company's credit, yeah. right? You know, it's it's lower than auto defaults. It's lower than mortgage defaults, and so having that low default rate kind of ensures that that debt is going to be paid, which you know lends itself to cheaper uh, debt capital. Anything to add, Taylor? Yeah, uh, just something on Solar City, and then we'll wrap up since I feel like we're going a little long. But I mentioned costs were up 80%, but so were installations, and so was their backlog in the last quarter, none of which is going to produce any revenue. Got to spend money to make money. Because, <laughs> because uh, they install for free, right? Yeah. So their money comes on these lease payments. On the that, back end that, when right. they, yeah. So the revenue doesn't follow suit necessarily until these leases start accumulating, which you're seeing at a great magnitude. Because they give the solar panels to the customer Solar City yeah. for free, and then they get the excess power, right? Is that basically the gist of things? Well, they can sell that back to the grid, but the, the customer is then going to pay Solar City on a monthly, annual basis over it. the okay. next twenty to thirty years. Um, rather than paying the power company, they're paying Solar City for the, the power that Solar City is essentially giving them the ability to harness from the sun. Um, and so that's that's the future of Solar City. It's not the installation cost because or the fee because they don't charge anything. Cool. So okay. They're just going to keep rolling that in, and they have solar backed leases that they sell to investors, backed by these uh, future cash flows that they're expecting. Got it. Okay. Well, that is it for us fools on this energy edition of Industry Focus. If you'd like to have your questions answered on another mailbag edition of Energy Industry Focus, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool dot com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!